0: Hello, and welcome to Driverless. I'm your host, Zach Adams. Today's episode is part one of an interview featuring one of our IP attorneys, Jay Campbell, and Blair Lacourt, president of AI. AI is a company that is currently working to help autonomous vehicles see the world around them. To do this, they have proprietary technology that fuses the capabilities of LiDAR and high-definition cameras to create a new level of quality in perception and path planning for autonomous vehicles. With that said, Here's Jay and Blair on today's episode of Driverless. What
1: well, we have with us today, Blair LeCour, the president of AI. AI is one of the innovative companies, at the forefront of the advanced vehicle sensing technology. That's the technology that we now rely upon to hopefully have autonomous vehicles, vehicles that will drive themselves in the future. A lot of our listeners have asked questions, technical questions about the difference between LIDAR and camera sensing and they've heard elon musk say that all you need are cameras and they've seen ford gm uh, toyota and other people say that no you can't do that you need to have lidar and uh one of the things that i found interesting personally uh was that i came across this company ai and what they had proposed is uh, a more artificial perception sensing system which uses a combination of cameras and a, uh, our cameras and LiDAR. So I asked them to come on and tell us a little bit about that. Uh, thank you, Blair. Hey, thanks for having us. Could you tell us just a little bit first about who is AI?
2: So AI, um, it's actually spelled A-E-Y-E, you know, kind of a cute name because you have to say AI every time you say our name, is, is really a company that while we're in the robotic vision area we really think about being a platform for artificial intelligence and if you look at how um, it's, you know you biomimic a human a lot of our intelligence comes from how we perceive the environment so we actually do use multiple modes of, of um, interrogation of the environment but we also have created a platform that uses those modes to actually add intelligence into the scanning. And you use LiDAR and cameras, is that correct? Correct. Now, I I would start up front for the people who actually have more experience in the market to say that in the automotive market or the autonomy market today, there's really two different tracks which I believe will come together um, at the end of the day. One is what you'll call mobility or robo-taxi, and you've heard a lot about that, um, and a lot of money has gone into that area for developing systems that and let a car or a truck drive itself with no human interaction. In fact, the level five definition of mobility is that you wouldn't even put a steering wheel in the car because you're never going to drive it, right? There's another term um, that's called ADAS, the automated uh, automated safety systems, um, which um, many people have experienced in the last ten years from their backup cameras or the ability to uh, hear beeping from the radar um, as they're parking their car, or the automated braking systems. So while the mobility systems in, in the um, engineering parlance are, are considered level three plus four and five, the basic safety systems in a car um, start out with you know level two um, and three. So as we talk about the, the technology, I just wanted to say there's two different ways this type of technology can be applied. Um, and the way I like to reconcile that is that a lot of the safety systems are autonomy on demand. Maybe the car isn't autonomous all the time, but the car knows what to do in certain situations, whether it's lane changing or it's automated braking, whereas in the mobility or robo-taxi, you, you're autonomous all the time. Um, so that that's the way we, we look at the market. Um, so w- within that context, because we assume that this was um, not necessarily two different markets, but a different set of use cases, we decided to look at the best um, sensing system that we could find, which was humans. Um, So we started from the bottom up looking at biomimicry versus looking at necessarily what the best sensors in the world were. I mean, we've made a lot of progress on individual sensors and we'll continue to do that, but we were more concerned with the architecture of vision and not necessarily the tactical implementation. So when you take a look at biomimicry, if I I digress for a second, um, you note that um, the most sophisticated level four cars today, um, don't go over 25 miles an hour. They're only used in um, highly geo-fenced areas with um, high LIDAR mapped or mapped um, uh, paths that they have. So, There's there's a reason why that happens, whereas a human can drive anywhere, anytime, and uh, can drive at high speeds. And that reason is is because the human um, visual cortex is designed as a multimodal system. So when we looked at robotic vision, we said, let's look at the humans first and then decide how to apply the sensors second. So when you look at a human, a human actually does a couple things that are very, very different. Um, The cars that um, exist today take all of the data and they collect it passively. So a camera shoots out and it brings back an image. And the image is, uh, you don't change the
1: image. It takes the same image every time. Can I slow you down for for a second? When you said a a camera takes the same passive image, what do you mean? I mean that it reflects out and
2: brings back, you know, a bunch of pixels, right? So when... um, It brings back what it sees. What it sees sees every time it it tries to analyze the entire scene at the same density, at the same distance, um, with the same tools, right? So you you don't see a camera changing the way a human does. So uh, maybe, you know, a human, when you walk into a room, looks um, in 2D and 3D at different objects. And when it's interested in something, it foveates on it. It puts more intensity on it and slows down its scanning of things it's not as interested in. So, for instance, the ceiling or the wall, which isn't moving and attracts itself to moving objects. So think of that, um, that there's active scanning and that there's passive scanning. And most of the systems on autonomous cars today are passively scanning. They're bringing back a lot of information, more information in a lot of cases than a human would bring back. Um, but they're bringing back the same information every time, which is why they um, have big computers in the trunk, and they bring all the information back, and the theory is we'll use a computer to actually process that information. So I would give you a premise um, that we use all the time, which is you only have three options when you're scanning the environment, whether you're a computer or you're human. You can either Scan intelligently, which means you don't bring back all the information in the world, very similar to an autistic child who brings back all the information with no intelligence to it, so gets overwhelmed sometimes. Um, You can use power to analyze information, or you can take time. So, having been in the GIS business, we used to take very, very detailed um, scans and maps and multiple modalities, and we bring them back and overnight we process them and add intelligence. If I have time and power, I don't have to necessarily scan intelligently. I spring back information and I can throw out 70, 80, 90% of it. So the average autonomous car today throws out 70, 80, 90% of the information it collects. And the theory behind that was, hey, I have the ability to collect all this information. I don't want to miss anything. And I'll use power and time to actually figure out what I really care about. And then I'll spit back the intelligence at the end of the equation versus the beginning. Now, that's diametrically opposed to how a human scans the environment. So, when
1: a human to. I don't, I don't want to make sure. this too, too simple, but uh, as, as you were discussing that, I was trying to imagine that sitting in my office. And uh, I noticed in the peripheral vision, I can see a guitar in my office. And I you know, turned my head to look at the guitar, uh, focused on that. Then I noticed that uh, I couldn't quite read the the word underneath the title of the guitar, you know, Unibox something, and squinted a little bit and saw custom. And I guess that's kind of a, a, a simple analogy to, if I'm right, active scanning or active viewing. Uh, right, and, and you know, it's,
2: it's, a, it's a perfect um, example, and there, there's other examples as well. So for instance, if you decided that you wanted to play music, you would have looked for a guitar, and you would have looked for a shape of a guitar. So you would have scanned faster than if you had just been scanning the room and happened to notice a guitar. Or if you had actually um, per- smelled um, apple pie and your mother made you apple pies, that smell would have actually sent a signal to your brain which would have told you that the apple pie is usually round and that it's a certain shape and that mm-hmm. it has heat associated with it to it. And so you would have scanned the room looking for that and again, found it faster, right? So you would have been intelligently scanning. So Intelligence comes um, to humans in two ways. One is, as you're scanning the environment, you realize what matters and what doesn't. Um, The second is your brain has stored a lot of patterns from your history, and you know what you're looking for. And either of those, or both of those, allow you to be extremely efficient in actually scanning the environment. So one of the questions that people always ask about autonomous cars is, well, obviously they're gonna be better than humans, right? And the, and the biggest example they give is 94% of accidents are caused by, and with humans are caused by distraction. That could be food, it could be music, it could be talking to someone else, it could be alcohol, um, it could be that I'm tired, right? So obviously we do have a weakness in the human scanning system, and that has to do with our attention, right? Because we're active scanners, um, when we're sedated, we're not, we don't, to fill that or when we're distracted by something else we may miss something so the theory was well computers don't get distracted and that's true so the computer does add some value there but what the human does do better at 70 miles an hour is it actually tracks multiple objects and decides what objects matter and what objects don't right and it changes the way it it analyzes the environment um, when i'm heading towards an intersection it looks left and it looks right or when it's snowing out and I've experienced in snow, I may actually um, slow down to a, a point where I can see through the snow. Or because I'm from Maine originally, and I know what ice feels like, and I know what it sounds like, I may look differently at the road because I can feel something. So again, a human not only um, in, in interrogates the environment intelligently, but 70% of what you see is actually done in your visual cortex, not in your brain. So when we decided to take a look at autonomous cars, we used the hypothesis that it's better to bring everything back to the hub. Well, the humans don't. It's a distributed scanning system and it's an active scanning system. So when 70% of my scanning is done at the edge, you get something very, very special. And what you get is that you actually can trade off what I will call spatial and temporal data. So spatial data means I see something in um, space and temporal data means I see something in time. So when I can modulate the, the both space and time, I actually can get more scans when my adrenaline is running and see something much faster. So when I see movement, humans are designed to actually, when they see movement, they actually track edges and they track mass. Why? Because if something big is moving towards me, that may be a threat. And therefore, I want to know right away whether it's a threat or not. Hundreds
1: of thousands of years of training our neural network in our brain, right?
2: And, and our firm, our firmware, in some ways is, uh, in some ways is fixed, right? Because that evolution has allowed us to actually hardwire some of those reactions versus having to actually uh, decide to do that. And that's where you get quick
1: reaction speed and low latency. So we train on. off all the time. I wanted to interrupt you for a second because sure. I, you mentioned something I thought was interesting and that was the visual cortex. Uh, probably not all of our readers know what the visual cortex is and I have to admit that I had to look it up uh, despite knowing I thought a lot about the brain and neural networks and, uh, and perception and, and all of that. Um, so as I understand it, the visual cortex is part of our brain that's like a preprocessor to the rest of the brain. It gets information and determines what's relevant and then provides that to that big mass of our brain, correct?
2: Right. Or it is it is uh, tasked by the big brass of the uh, big mass of the brain to look for certain things. And it actually then reorients itself to look for those certain things. So it can go both ways. It's two ways. Either it's pre-processing or it's been told to look specifically for something, given the experience of the brain. I think most people, when they think about uh, robots or cars, they think to themselves, well, everything goes back to the brain. In reality, 70% of your visual, um, you know, your spatial and temporal analysis of the world is done at the visual cortex. And, and really more surprisingly than that, 40% of your vision is actually impacted by senses outside of, of your um, visual
1: cortex. And, so when you, and when you say that you're different, from what everybody else is doing. That's kind of the key, isn't it? Well, I think it's because we were trying
2: to solve a different problem. If the problem was how to collect the most um, data um, so that I won't miss anything, which sounds very logical, um, then you would have taken a different um, architecture. And there are some applications or use cases, for instance, in ADAS and safety systems, that actually that's the right um, way to to actually solve the problem. If you were looking at how to actually intelligently scan the environment so that you could expand the number of use cases, um, then you probably wanna look at a systems approach um, where you're looking at 2D and 3D at the same time, you're doing it in a distributed fashion, and then it has feedback loops. And you know, one of the questions you started out with was cameras versus LiDAR systems. Well, I can tell you that biomimicry has um, some really positive points, but when you start to biomimic and you look at uh, different species, you could actually see that, um, for instance, bats use um, echolocation to be able to uh, to figure out where things are. They don't use what we would, you know, use this analogy as a camera, whereas humans use a lot more vision and then mathematical formulas to figure out depth. So, in the near field, we use parallax equations. And in the far field, we use reference equations. How big or small is it? Which is why you can get fooled in a funhouse. So while I am a huge proponent that humans are better at perception, they aren't always better at processing because of the way they do it. So what we decided was how could we use the best of a computer and the best of a human? So if we, take, if we want to get 2D and 3D, we decided that cameras are the best way to get 2D. And in most cases, they're extremely accurate and uh, good. So I, in that case, I, you know, I agree with Elon Musk. They've come a long way. They're inexpensive. Um, and there's different types of cameras that, that you can blend together. And in fact, there's a lot of innovation happening right now with event cameras, which would allow us to do some basic um, uh, ability to track moving objects or to, to uh, do some basic foveation. But we also realized that we can make up for one of the big human inadequacies, which is depth by using LIDAR systems, which are much more like uh, a sonar type system that a bat uses. Now, you know, just for the fun of it, um, there is actually a, a, an example of this in humans. There's a um, a high school student in L.A. named Ben Underwood, if you want to look it up, if you want to see a video that will really freak you out. who was actually <laughs> went blind when he was two. So he actually taught himself how to do echolocation by clicking and then listening to when the waves came back. So he can shoot baskets and play pool and do almost anything. That's a perfect example of how um, you can use both depth perception and you can use visual perception together and one plus one equals 10 versus one plus one equals two. In certain situations, a camera leads the way and a, a depth perception system like LiDAR um, interrogates it and in other situations in the dark tunnel the lidar system sees it first and then it tracks it until the camera can pick it back up so we just decided not to take um, not to take a side but to actually look at the most efficient robotic vision and again we were trying to solve a different problem um, we were trying to solve a system problem and you know not to 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 belabor um, the historical background of our company but one of the reasons why we looked at it that way was because most of us came from the military or intelligence. And in the military, um, for 20 years, we've been using a combination of multimodal systems to do missile defense and automated targeting and ISR systems. So for us, it didn't, wasn't that big a jump to say that if you can do it um, effectively and you can do it co- you know, cost effectively, why wouldn't you actually use multiple modes?
1: Well, I, I think that uh, one of the things that our, our, our readers or our listeners will be surprised at is that cameras are two-dimensional because we think of them as our eyes, and we believe we see them three-dimensional, um, which in reality, I guess we lose that ability to do when we're young, and right. we now don't see really too much in three-dimension. We just assume that we do, and that's why the eyes can be fooled by things moving at them quickly. Right.
2: Well, it's also, you know, as we talked about um, in our previous conversation, it's why a magician can also fool you is because we also trade off between spatial and temporal. So if I'm not looking at an object and I'm intensely interrogating an object in front of me to basically replicate 3D by using mathematical formulas, I'm processing less on the sides. And therefore, someone can very quickly, you know, replace something in the scene and I won't notice it until later. So, well, I think the system design of a human visual cortex is the best um, that we have out there, we can make it better by picking up some of the places that, um, were, that are more repeatable and that actually have um, different skills, like seeing depth and seeing three dimensions.
1: And that's where you get into
2: to LIDAR systems, laser systems.
1: So, how does a lidar system work to see in three dimensions as opposed to a camera which is only 2 d but provides us other information like color
2: right, so it's a great question right you you know so when you take a look at that's one of the the big attributes of a of a camera is that you not only can get contrast and edges but you can get color, and humans um, as well as cars love orthogonal information, and color can give you a lot more information on the scene right. But a lidar system looks a lot like a sonar system or a radar system um, using different wavelengths, in this case, you know light, to bounce off objects. and because of the the physical attributes of the wavelengths, they can actually see things in in three dimensions because they can see depth, right? And so it's um, I look at it as very complementary to a pixel based system. Um, and we actually, in fact um, created a word um, to to basically describe when you mesh a um, pixel and a voxel. And a voxel is a laser shot. We call it a VIXEL. Um, And these VIXELs are pre-registered. So every place I'm looking in 2D, I can on demand look in 3D with the laser and I can decide um, which one I want to do or whether I want to do both. We also have the capability because we happen to use a fiber laser, which is what you'll see in telecommunications and a fiber optic network. We can actually modulate... The power. So if I'm looking um, straight down the road, I may want to see further. So I may push the power further, looking down the road. On the sides, I may actually uh, pull back the power, but I may increase the uh, speed so that nothing comes and hits me from the side. But I don't need to see more than twenty yards on the side. And again, we're replicating what a human does. We're just replicating it with a camera and a lidar system versus using a visual cortex.
1: Well, I guess, guess this is this is actually a lot more complex than I thought. Uh, when you read about just combining cameras uh, with LiDAR, you can see that you get three dimensions and you can see that you get color. Uh, but I guess you use this in a with the artificial perception in a way that uh, synergistic, I guess, to um, see a lot more than I guess I understood. And I, I guess that's the combination or, or why you call this the um, mimicry of the visual cortex
2: right in fact we call it idar which is intelligent detection and ranging just because we want people to have to think about the fact that this isn't what they have um, seen before so one of the things that you're probably uh, thinking about is that you can see a color image right that comes out of a camera and a lidar system that we'll call is post-process right so you take the camera image you take the lidar image You do a bunch of of mathematical formulas. You try to register them and take out the shaking and take out the fact that they have a different pose because they're in different places on the car, and you try to time-synchronize them, and at the end, you spit out what looks like a color um, three-dimensional photo, but that's a post-process. So by the time you've done that, it's 100 milliseconds to 200 milliseconds, which means two cars driving at 70 miles an hour on the highway at each other have probably moved 20 feet by the time that image was finally, we'll call it developed, which means that it was fused together. So we took a different approach given the architecture. We said, why would I ever wait to post-process because it's too late to actually change the way I scan. If I want to scan intelligently and I happen to see red, I want the LIDAR system to know I see red instantaneously so that I can actually analyze that um, to see if it's a stoplight or a brake light. right? So, So, So we actually interrogate at the point of Perception by what we call bore sighting the camera the camera is fused with the lidar system So every pixel is pre-registered with a laser shot So as you're actually looking at it, you don't have to wait as you're seeing as it you get the instantaneous response You're seeing 2d and 3d at the same time And so the computer is much smarter about what its next read wants to be so in between frames I could decide I think I see someone and i need to go back and 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 actually reanalyze it um if you take a look at the uber accident um and it's an unfortunate situation um where they were again you know you're testing things um the lidar system was disconnected from the the radar system so that they could figure out the uh the true validity and at the end of the day it went around in 100 milliseconds and it was a bike with a lot of holes in it and it was the darkness doesn't matter but it didn't know whether it really hit something because it got a, a, a reading, but it thought it was a false negative. It waited again and thought, I'm not seeing anything. You know, I'm only, I can't tell if that's a real object. What we would have done in that same scene as a, what a human would have done, at the second we would have seen movement, we would have looked over there and focused all our energy on what was entering from a lateral perspective. So we would have, in that same frame, hit it with the LIDAR system 50, 100, 200 times. So we would have known whether it was a false negative or not a false negative. Why? Because we have a system approach um, in the way we actually interrogate the same way a human does. Um, So it was unfortunate, but it, you know, every, everything that happens, you learn from, right? And that was one of the things I think the industry learned was you can't just passively scan over and over again because the camera was too dark for the camera to see contrast. So you're dependent on one system that couldn't re interrogate. and probably and what i didn't say also is that look camera systems are passive but believe it or not all of the lidar systems in the world today although they're a very sophisticated system are all passive all of them spin around at the same speed with the same density and the same distance for everywhere in the scene all of them or raster or or they flash and so they are actually passive systems as well so
1: so in other words um, with the lidar system it's essentially it's a laser spinning up top your car, and it 's measuring the distance to everything that it sees. everything. Right.
2: or it's flashing like a flash lidar. It looks like a camera, but it flashes out and it brings back everything it sees. But again, it's passive. It does the same interrogation just like a camera every time. so you're either oversampling or undersampling everything in your scene. The girl in front of you running across the street is more important than the sky behind you. Yet in every other camera or LIDAR system, you're getting the same attention to each of those um, areas, right? So a human would not do that.
1: You're going to get 360-degree view even though you're only concerned about that 15% that the girl's in, right?
2: At that moment in time. But it's not just that. You can't actually revisit until
1: you spin all the way around.
2: And by the time you spun all the way around, either the girl or the car or any object has now moved and you have to do a calculation to figure out, are you hitting the same object? And then you have to figure out, is, can I figure out the vector? And then maybe can I figure out the, the velocity so that I could articulate like a human would do when you're trying to catch a football, um, is you actually figure out the spatial integrity and then you figure out the timing and you figure out where the ball is going to end up. Well, that's the same thing you'd want to do in a car if someone's riding a skateboard, are they gonna drive in front of me by the time I get to the intersection? So in order to do that, you would probably put more emphasis on that object. That's where we circle back around to what we used to do for a living, which is when you do a missile defense system or automated targeting system, which are basically just the, the, the other side of the coin, you have to analyze every scene and never miss anything entering your scene. Because if something enters your scene, Um, that you don't see, it could be very dangerous. Or, you, you know, the second thing you have to do is all objects in your scene aren't equal. So while I have to always have a background pattern to never let anything enter, I want to put more emphasis on objects I think are interesting. I want to acquire those objects, right? I want to figure out what they are. And then thirdly, I want a feedback loop or an artificial intelligence loop that can tell me, do I want to either interrogate more? Do I just want to track it because I think it may be dangerous later? Or do I wanna hit the brakes because I need to act right now? So in order to have that kind of capability, you need a distributed system that's got low latency. You need the orthogonal data, which means you need color and you need depth at the same time. You need the ability to change the pattern to re-interrogate very quickly objects in the scene that are more important. And then you need a, the ability to have a feedback loop, which none of the other systems have. It's all serial collection of data going one way that you can actually tell the sensor you want to do something different. Like you really are interested in that. And so today, everything is done in a hub because we're assuming that a computer will just use power and time to figure it out. And what we're realizing is that that density latency barrier is a paradox. It's very difficult to ever analyze enough data without spending too much time or too much power. In fact, one of the hidden secrets of the industry today is that, you know, the power draw from the computer in the trunk is a big issue with EVs because we're actually drawing down its range because we're using so much power to analyze the information. So from a system standpoint, there's big implications to not scanning intelligently.
0: That'll do it for today's episode of Driverless. If you'd like to give us feedback or join the discussion, you can contact us at at underscore driverless on Twitter or driverless at tuckerellis.com. And please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts from. Thanks, as always, for listening and talk to you soon.